Welcome to another episode of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jacob, joined as always by my good friend, Tom. For those of you returning, we're excited to have you back with us a little bit early this week. For any new listeners, this is a spoiler-free weekly podcast recapping HBO's The Last of Us. Tom and I are two passionate fans of the game that are bringing that love to this podcast as we offer deep dives into each episode, compare it to the game, just talk about something we both care very deeply about. Again, though, spoiler-free, so those of you that uh, who haven't played the game won't be in any danger. Now let me welcome in Tom and have him explain to you the format of each episode. Hello, Jacob. I'm coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, or Scottsdale, Arizona specifically, where I'm going to the Super Bowl tomorrow. Hopefully, Kansas City will do a little bit better uh, than they did in this last one. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be going over the details of this episode and this episode specifically. So like you said, we're longtime fans of the game. We're going to be going over lots of context from the game, but nothing that's going to spoil any future episodes. So we will be adding details, changes, best adaptation, what did they keep? What did they change? What did we like about the differences? Uh, and inform the audience that has not played the game or maybe people that played it and it's been a long time, all the details that we find relevant that they might have forgotten about. Uh, throughout the episode, we might have a Molotov hot take to chuck here and there or a crafting upgrade if we want to pick a few nits, which uh, while we like this episode, I actually have a couple that, that criticism we're going to talk about here a little bit later. Um, and then at the end, we're going to give out some awards. So the, the baby girl, the best game moment brought to life, the best video gaming done by a character in the show, uh, best change, and then the MVP of the week. So we're going to go over all of that. But again, we're not going to spoil anything from any future episodes until the end. At the end, we will exit the quarantine zone. Uh, and we will be unleashed with our full spoiler knowledge of both Last of Us and Last of Us Part 2 uh, to speculate on what we think is coming, things we're excited about, or just various things that we had to say for the spoiler section to avoid spoiling any of the future audience. Jacob? So this week, Episode 5, Endurance Survive, uh, I feel like I've said this maybe three different times at this point. Maybe the best episode of the series so far. Uh, certainly, for whatever it's worth, it is the highest rated on IMDb. And it uh, dives into the story of Henry and Sam and uh, introduces them to Joel and Ellie. And just really a a fascinating, heartbreaking, everything in between story. It was a great adaptation of the game. And I mean, it. it might be the best uh, one of the best ones ever as you kind of noted yeah i mean it's just a normal happy go lucky fun episode of television good for the whole family everyone's having a great time everyone's getting some chuckles in uh okay we knew this was coming obviously and uh we were both excited for it and also scared for it uh it's it's a lot it was shocking in the game it was depressing in the game it was upsetting um, and it was certainly still all of those things. They made a lot of interesting changes along the way. They brought to life a lot of great moments and they, I think, enriched a lot of things in a lot of ways. Uh, I mentioned this in the spoiler section of the podcast last week, but I want to bring it to the full audience with Molotov Hot Take right out of the game, which is what I said that to, to call this show at this point the best video game adaptation ever is is doing it a disservice. This is 
well on its way to being one of the best adaptations of any beloved source material ever. That includes books, that includes movies, TV shows, anything. They took what honestly I coming into this, I viewed as like almost a perfect story that I was like, I, I don't, I don't really, I just hope they do it well and that they do it justice. Um, and every beat along the way, they are finding opportunities to enrich and improve the story in, in some ways that I think are really notable and really impressive. This is um, this is the most certainly that I've been impressed with an adaptation of anything. And, and like we said going in, if there was anything that we would be the equivalent of snobby book readers about, this, <laughs> this would be that, right? We're very attached to the game. And the fact that they're doing it this much justice, not only doing it justice, but but finding ways to make it better just continues to impress me uh, each and every week. So I'm I'm super excited about that. Again, Kansas City, whew, we were looking rough there. Um, the Chiefs hopefully will do better. I was we never got any Chiefs gear, or Chiefs signs. That, that's one thing I noted. I thought maybe at some point we would. It's a, you know it was it was gearing up for football season. No no three in Kansas City. I thought there would be some signs, but that's okay. Minor nitpick. Um, I want to take a quick second to gush about our guest star actors we got in this episode. We talked a little bit about Melanie Linsky and Jeffrey Pierce last episode for Kathleen and Perry, but Henry and Sam, you know, while those are cool new characters that that we met, uh, Kathleen and Perry, Henry and Sam, we were much more interested to see and excited to see. And we were very careful last episode to avoid any spoiler talk, but this whole saga of the game is obviously hugely important. Um, And I thought both actors, Lamar Johnson and Kevon Woodward, crushed it i might have given out my guest star emmy a little too fast last episode i was like oh hold on maybe we gotta think about this a little bit because um both both of them were just incredible uh the 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 choice to make sam deaf was really interesting which i'm sure we'll talk about more but those two were incredible i thought they were they were both just absolutely sensational yeah, the biggest competition for guest star Emmy is going to be within The Last of Us uh, the same season with uh, Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett. And then these two, Lamar Johnson and Kevon Woodard. Phenomenal stuff. Um, these two, these were some tough characters to portray. Uh, and they they nailed it and made you fall. It's, it's again, one of those situations where you have to like kind of fall in love with them really quickly and become attached to them. And then ultimately you lose them. And, and if you do it right, it makes the end of that heartbreaking. And I don't know about you, but it was pretty heartbreaking at the end. It was a, uh, there was a, a tear or two shed, even though I knew exactly what was coming. So it was, um, Tremendous work from the both of them. We Sam is so unbelievably cute, which is what made that too cute. So we, we, yeah. this this was the number one item of discussion in last week's spoiler podcast. Just for a peek behind the curtain of you that don't don't venture outside beyond the quarantine zone, is Sam too cute? Is this going to make it even more uh, heartbreaking? Uh, I, I think my concerns were valid, uh, but I but I think they made a good call with the casting and and some of the creative decisions, but. Oh man, it just made it even more. So in in the game, and we'll talk a little bit more about the differences here in a little bit when we get into it. But uh, Henry's definitely, or excuse me, Sam is definitely older. He's almost Ellie's age. He's he's yeah. slightly younger, um, and he's definitely not deaf. He's he, he can hear. He he talks normally. 
Um, so that was definitely a different decision. Uh, I thought that was yet another great example of the show utilizing a great way to have better representation of including someone with a disability in the story. I also think it's important to have shown and made clear that while obviously Sam didn't end up having a happy fate, the, the fact that it was not at all his disability, which is what doomed him, I, th- I think is good. That would have been a tough pill to swallow, uh, so to speak. But uh, I, I thought that was great. Obviously, casting a deaf actor was important if they were going to do that. I think it's great that they, they brought in a, a kid that was that was deaf and was it, it, it's amazing that they were able to get such a they had to narrow down obviously who they were looking for so a, a kid someone that's young someone that can act someone that's deaf someone that's black all of those things had to they, they had to fit the criteria perfectly they they said on the podcast they were expecting to get maybe 50 auditions and they got eight uh and uh thankfully they found kivan because he was incredible yeah they had to thread a needle and absolutely nailed it with that henry and sam represent kind of a mirror to joel and ellie as this uh sort of father child dynamic that isn't really a father child dynamic. It's a, with Joel and Ellie, it's obviously, I guess, two strangers. And then with Henry and Sam, it's brothers. So, but they all are, are dependent on each other. And it also offers kind of, and we'll talk about this at the end, but a look at what could happen in with uh, Joel and Ellie in, and that that ending scene is really interesting because Ellie is hardening as Joel is softening, it seems like. And so they're going to meet somewhere in the middle along the way. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in that moment. But it was a gut-wrenching scene, gut-wrenching episode. I sat there the whole time knowing what was going to happen. And it still hit as heavy as it ever did, if not more. And so uh, amazing stuff from them. Uh, what other thoughts did you have on this? Yeah, they, they explore some interesting themes once again. So tribalism is something that comes up a lot when discussing those last of us, just this, which is easy to fall into in life in general, but especially in a situation like this or the apocalypse of just adapting this us versus the mentality and how, while that can be based in love a lot of the time, the downfalls that that type of mindset can bring. There's some really interesting examples of how they did that. I thought this episode it really interestingly explored the ideas of absolutism, especially in regards to moral quandaries and moral decisions like snitching. That's bad. I don't work with rats. Okay. What if it's like to save your adorable eight year old deaf brother with cancer? Well, that changes things a little bit, right? Uh, I don't work with rats. Okay. Well, like what if that's your only option to survive? What if the rats are actually good people and you just hadn't realized it yet? Fascist and fascist collaborators should be brought to justice. I think in general, we agree with that. Okay, but what if it's a doctor that's protecting a little kid? Uh, you know, what if it's your brother uh, that you have to protect? You know, Henry thinking that he's the bad guy because he did a bad guy thing. Is it that simple? I don't think so. And we're going to talk about that for sure. But just a lot of interesting themes that they explored throughout the episode. Obviously, the cost of violence and revenge. Shocking that Kathleen's bad decision from the last episode ended up being a bad decision. Who could have seen that coming? Um, and, and yeah, just some really interesting ideas that are explored, uh, throughout the story of this episode. We did get one mailbag question from Parker who said, I've never played the game, but I've noticed two episodes. The best one in his opinion are kind of side stories from Joel and Ellie. Is that pacing kind of aligned with how the game went? 
So in general, I would say the answer to this is no, primarily because we never leave the perspective really of Joel and Ellie outside of the time that we got to spend with Sarah before Joel was there in the, in the prologue in the house. But this type of, um, and this is why we were excited about this being an HBO adaptation is the game story was pretty naturally divided out into these type of sections. And in fact, before the season, if you go back and listen to our preview pod, if you want to, uh, assuming that you know the plot of the game and want to listen to the spoiler part, pr- we pretty much nailed like the the, yeah. the the episode predictions of how we thought it would go. Of okay, this is a Bill and Frank, you know, this is the Bill episode. This will be the Henry and Sam episode, the the Pittsburgh storyline, so to speak, in Kansas City, etc. But because of that, it, it definitely is broken out into chunks, but not not in terms of side stories because we definitely never leave Joel and Ellie. And that's one of the benefits, as we've talked about, of this medium of doing it through television is you don't you don't have to stay with your playable characters, right? You can actually, okay, well, what did happen with Henry and Sam before they met up with Ellie? Like, what was what was going on with them? What's going on with the head of these hunters? So they can do all those things. But good question. Uh, and again, thank you for the mailbag. You can continue to tweet those at us at TLOU Nerds and send your mailbags to TLOU Nerds at gmail.com. But yeah, uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get into the first part of the episode into the nitty gritty? I would just say on that question as well, this kind of quote unquote side story, the Sam and Henry part was one of the favorite parts in the game. And so this is why we were excited for this story. As you said, we had to be very careful and even re-record some parts last week to try to avoid spoilers because we wanted everyone else to kind of experience it the way that we did. But uh, the bill episode was entirely different so it it, it's kind of some give and take they're adapting this game to the show and doing so brilliantly brilliantly along the way so um terrific stuff from neil and craig part one brothers 10 days ago before our last episode where let where left off kansas city is celebrating but it's not because the chiefs won the super bowl not yet anyway but it's the next best thing. Fedra has been defeated. The revolution, which was led by Kathleen, has won. People are cheering in the streets. Chance of freedom. Freedom. And fuck you, Fedra. Fuck you, Fedra. And people are laughing as they savagely beat and kill and hang members of Fedra. Kansas City belongs to the people. Collaborators, surrender now and you will receive a fair trial, proclaims the voice amplified by a megaphone on a truck. A body being dragged by the truck, which by my count had about 17 knives in it. Uh, Sam, a boy who is eight years old and deaf, sees the body. Henry, Sam's adult other brother, grabs him. Look at me, not at that. Henry and Sam use sign language to communicate with each other. And in the apocalypse, this might as well be their own secret language. Sam follows Henry's lead. Kathleen has a cell full of Fedra collaborators or as Kathleen simply calls them, rats. Kathleen tells them that lucky for them, she's not Fedra, and no one needs to die. We could put you on trial, but you know, you're guilty, so that's how that's going to go. But says they'll do some time, and they'll live in exchange for them giving up Henry. One rat squeaks, telling her that Henry and Sam are with Edelstein, the doctor, who we know that Kathleen will later execute in the last episode. And once they leave the cells, Kathleen wants to start going door to door until they find Henry, something Perry doesn't think is practical, but Kathleen insists. 
She instructs Perry to kill the collaborators that were in the cells and burn the bodies. So much for those trials. Uh, and these are probably presumably the freshly burnt bodies that we caught a glimpse of as Joel and Ellie were rolling into town in the last episode. Edelstein meets up with Henry and Sam and shows them to a secret attic that they hold up in. They are low on supplies with no ammo and about 10 to 11 days of food. Elstein points out that Sam is scared because Henry is scared. Henry assures Sam that they'll be safe, and there's just one problem. This attic they're in is ugly, and he hands Sam a bag of crayons to draw superheroes on the walls. Ten days later, Henry and Sam are almost out of food. They haven't seen Edelstein in a while, and Sam asks if he's dead, and Henry chooses honesty. Probably yes, and the brothers hug. Because brothers don't shake hands, brothers got a hug. Tweet at us if you get the reference. Henry paints a superhero mask on Sam, which makes Sam smile big. And Henry witnesses Joel and Ellie clash with Brian with a Y and the ambushers. And more specifically, he watches Joel violently handle them. Running low on options, food, time, and no ammo, Henry forms a new plan. And the first step is following Joel and Ellie to propose an alliance. Joel and Ellie wake up at the cliffhanger of the, last, of the last episode to find Henry and Sam pointing their guns at them. We learn later that these were not loaded. Henry tells them and that they don't want to hurt them, and rather they actually want to help them. Henry asks for assurance that Joel and Ellie won't hurt them once they lower the guns, and Joel gives a thoroughly unconvincing confirmation. Ellie insists that he just has an asshole voice. Everything's great, Joel says. Out of options, Henry chooses to trust them anyway. Joel and Ellie share some of their food and everyone introduces each other, though Ellie has to slap Joel on the leg to get him to say, I'm Joel. Look, we ate, we didn't kill each other. Let's call this a win-win and move on. But Henry begins to make his pitch. He will show them the way out of the city if Joel will clear the way. So a couple things here. So first of all, I wanted to point out some, some of the initial differences with the Henry and Sam story from the game. So we already talked about the, the revolutionary group slash hunters that is led by Kathleen it was a lot more vague in the game. We knew that there was a revolutionary group that overthrew Fedra, but we don't really get into details of who or how or the people involved or really take any notable amount of time with any of those characters. Henry and Sam were actually part of a group that was not in Kansas City, or excuse me, in, in Pittsburgh, where this is all taking place again. But they decided to venture into the city to look for supplies. They got ambushed, very similar to how Joel and Ellie were. Uh, Joel and Ellie came across them, and Henry in the game grabs Joel at first, thinking he was a hunter, but he stops as soon as he sees Ellie. And Joel begins beating the living crap out of Henry uh, until Ellie alerts Joel to Sam, who's holding a gun on them. Uh, who's, Henry now says, it's okay, they're not the bad guys lower the gun. Uh, this group of hunters wouldn't keep kids around because of survival of the fittest. And that's how Henry knows that Joel and Ellie weren't the bad guys. And this whole section of the game, obviously we talked about last episode was Joel and Ellie learning to trust each other. And Jacob, this episode and this portion of the game in the story is about, can you trust strangers in this world? If you come across people, is it okay? Are you going to be better than these people that would ambush you? Can you work together? Can you trust them? Uh, and that whole dynamic. Yeah, it creates an interesting situation for, I was going to say the game player, but the viewer, the for Joel and Ellie, um, in that they're kind of still learning to trust each other a little bit, and now they're thrust into a situation where they have to trust complete strangers. And as we know with Joel, trust is not a uh, quality 
high up on his list. So it's uh, it, it really creates this interesting dynamic. There's also a an interesting change from the game to the show in that in the game, Henry very much is able and willing to kill people. And you kind of work as a team, Joel and uh, Henry, to take out people. And in the show, Henry very much is not is not that. As he says, I'll show you the way, you'll clear the way, which is what leads them to coming together. So a lot of kind of interesting differences between the two that um, I think came across well. It, it makes everyone more dependent on one another, and it creates a, um, a dynamic, like you said, where you have to learn to trust these strangers or you're not getting out of this situation. So Henry and Sam worked the same in that regard in the, uh, in the game, in the show, I think it came across even better. For sure. Um, a little bit of a difference there. They introduced some different moral decisions that Henry has to make, uh, in the show that weren't really there in the game, but something that's interesting in, in, in game Henry, as I said, is he had, he, he has to be the first one to make that call of like, wait, hold on. This is wrong. I like, I don't need to kill these people. Um, and that's hard to do. It's really hard to do in this world. And, uh, that obviously leads to that whole thing. And again, if, if Ellie and Sam weren't there, Joel would have killed him if he had stopped beating him. And, and then just, uh, Joel, Joel would have just kept beating the crap out of him and, and, until he was dead, just like he did with Lee. Um, but, for, for sure, that is interesting. One other detail that was somewhat interesting that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later is Henry has this idea of heading out west in the game to meet up with the Fireflies, which is is not present in the show. Kathleen, some some tough stuff from from our girl here, who who you know so much for those trials, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, she didn't appear to be the Democratic leader that uh, that we all might have anticipated. As you said, you did not vote for her. That is standing up well. I did not. It is a decision that is aging quite well because uh, she (laughs) initially looks like someone that's going to be this fair leader. But uh, as you often see, people who overthrow a regime are often worse than those that existed. And this is a very brutal group that is taking over Kansas. Not to say Fedra wasn't, but this is Hold on. Hold on. Kansas City. This is downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Just before you have a bunch of Missouri people uh, storming your house up to Indiana. Just want want to clarify. It's in Missouri. Excuse me. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't exist regardless now. So uh, it is a far more brutal uh, group that is taking over. And as you kind of alluded to, their sole focus is this outright revenge to find and kill Henry. And that is their main focus right now. So it leads to them just doing everything they can, killing whoever it takes and nothing is going to stop them from finding them. This is a one track mind of a group right now. For sure. And also it does some interesting things, which you could, you could, I think we could kind of tell there was a little something there, but we didn't want to get into them too in depth with both Edelstein and Perry. You could tell, obviously, Edelstein seemed like he knew where Henry was and was not divulging information. We now know why, right? He doesn't, like, first of all, he knows Henry's not a bad person. 
And then also there's this little adorable deaf kid who has cancer. He doesn't want to give that kid up, understandably. There's also a moment of hesitation from Perry last episode uh, after they find the attic and after they find the drawing where it's, he's like, he's like, you, you can tell he's having a moment of like, oh man, like is, should we be doing this? Like, is this that important to track these people down with this kid? Um, and that it, it just adds adds a more interesting layer to the ne- to the last episode. I think when you go back and and watch that again, Sam is quite the artist for his age, though. That he uh, did a bang up job in the ten days they spent in the attic of uh, decorating the attic with some quite vivid uh, illustrations all across the wall. That kudos to him. He it, it's a shame because he would have had a real future as an artist. You know, I've never I've never decorated an attic over 10 days with crayons, but I bet it probably wouldn't have been that good. So yeah, yeah, he did a good job. His deafness, as we mentioned, is a very interesting uh, change made to the uh, show. Definitely makes him much more dependent on Henry than it does in the game. Uh, his age paired with his deafness uh, makes him I mean, Sam kind of used Henry as his superhero. The The theme that Sam has throughout all of his drawings is a superhero, and that's Henry to him. So pairing him being much younger in the game, or excuse me, in the show, and his deafness, and it's a much more interesting dynamic. Neil Druckmann said in the, uh, after the talking about the episode after it aired, it was when Craig called him and told him, I think Henry should be deaf. Uh, he was just upset that he didn't think of that. So it was a great change. I thought that kind of, um, led to the dynamics that they wanted in that Sam was very dependent on Henry. Also probably very useful for stealth. Just, you can communicate without talking. Yeah, exactly. And, So it it was a very uh, noteworthy change, but uh, one that I think worked really well. Henry, uh, we see, watch Joel take down all of the Fedra officers uh, in the last episode when they drive into the store and Joel takes uh, out the, well, Joel and Ellie, I guess, take out the three uh, people in there. Henry was across the street watching. And so it's that, scene or that situation where he sees they have a shared enemy that leads him to trust Joel and follow him and, and kind of make a pact with him. And I think that this, this is one of the ways they make Henry a little bit more interesting. It's like I said, it's not just like stumbling upon Joel. He sees something and he sees an opportunity and he sees, okay, like these people might be able to help us. Um, and this this might be our best shot to get out of the city. So I, I thought that was an interesting choice, and it certainly, uh, you know, what, while he while he he's not someone that's killing, it still paints Henry as someone that is very competent in different ways. So I thought they made some interesting choices there. One of my favorite episodes of the, or uh, excuse me, one of my favorite lines of this episode and of the series maybe is Ellie telling Henry it's okay. He has an asshole voice, which is, uh, I guess the, uh, resting asshole voice is the equivalent of resting bitch face. So, <laughs> and Pedro's delivery on the, on those lines was, uh, Quite obviously, it's everything's great. <laughs> but um, he makes no attempt whatsoever to change his tone. None. It's like, and 
and, and then and then when Bella was just like, dude, uh, <laughs> that was some good stuff too. Uh, also, I, I we we see this type of like like it, it seems like the switch is flipped for Joel here, and he's in angry, ruthless like protector mode in this moment. Um, and we we I think this is the first time we've seen that in the show of his him beating the crap out of out of Lee in the first episode which seemed like much more just like a a a triggered trauma response of something that he almost like couldn't even control uh but this the switch is flipped here in this in this moment and if it were not for Ellie I I definitely think Joel would have looked for uh an opportunity very quickly to try and turn the tables on Henry and Sam yeah, it's the first time he's been put in this this type of situation, and it's kind of an instinct thing. And so we see, I mean, we know that type of Joel is there. We've heard him talk about the stories, but this is the first time we really see it. Part two, tunnels. Henry reveals to Joel that he's never been violent and further trusts Joel by revealing to him that their guns aren't loaded. It's another step, another leap of faith. Joel, it turns out, has actually heard of Kansas City Fedra, even all the way out in Boston. Uh, Henry confirms they were monsters. They murdered, they raped, they tortured people for 20 years. And when you do that to people, they do it right back to you as soon as they get a chance. Henry says that he's not Fedra, but quote, worse, a collaborator. Joel says he doesn't work with rats. Henry turns to hear Sam laughing, a sound he has not heard in a long time. It's because Ellie showed him one of her pun jokes. Joel asks Henry about his plan and he lays it out. The downtown area is surrounded by highways with perimeters and patrols set up by Kathleen's group. Henry says that while Kansas City does not have a subway station, they do have tunnels that they can go underground through and pop out on the other side. Just one problem. uh, Underground is where Fedra had driven away all the infected about 15 years ago. Henry says that someone from Fedra, however, told him that as of at least three years ago, it was clear down there. But it's risky. Lots of unknowns. That's your great plan, Joel asks, and Henry says, no, that's my dicey as fuck plan, but as far as I can tell, it's our only shot. Everyone agrees, and the group of four head for the tunnels. The moment they get down to the tunnels, Henry declares victory because the way seems clear, and Joel notes they've only been down there two seconds. They don't know anything yet, causing Henry to tell Ellie that her dad is kind of a pessimist, and both Joel and Ellie immediately say that Joel is not her dad at the same time. Further on, in a scene that thrilled us as game nerds, they find an area that used to be a small post-outbreak settlement with children's drawings all over the walls. Sam and Ellie find a comic book called Savage Starlight, and they are both familiar with it and immediately bond over it. To the edge of the universe and back, endure and survive. Ellie slowly mouths the catchphrase to Sam, and he teaches her how to say it in sign language. They all agree to kill time in this place before popping out on the other side so that they'll have the cover of darkness. And Ellie and Sam play with the soccer ball and the goal that was painted on the wall. Joel and Henry sit down for a chat. Henry grins watching Sam have fun playing with Ellie and Joel tries to apologize for being so judgmental about Henry's collaboration. Henry explains that Kathleen's brother was the leader of the resistance who he describes as a great man, one that he admired. And he was never afraid, never selfish, always forgiving. Henry wanted to follow him and clearly wanted to help the resistance to oppose Fedra. But Sam was sick with leukemia. There was a drug that worked. And in order to get it, he needed to give Fedra, quote, something big. So he gave up Kathleen's brother. Henry feels guilty. Still think they should take it easy on me? 
or am I the bad guy? The answer is easy. I am the bad guy because I did a bad guy thing. Henry can tell that Joel understands why he did it, and he can also tell that he was a father. Maybe not Ellie's, but someone's. Rather than confirm, Joel stands up, declares they've waited long enough, and they head out of the tunnels. So this Joel and Henry conversation is very interesting uh, as they're sitting in the tunnels. It gives us another look at this show version of Joel, which is, again, we can't reiterate this enough, far more understanding, at least outwardly, than the game version is. Uh, He apologizes to him, says, I don't know your situation. I was kind of making judgments without knowing you. And that is not a sentiment that uh, game Joel uh, ever has or shares. Um, So it's a fascinating look at Joel as he continues to be a much more, um, I guess, maybe complex character in the show than he is in the game. The same time on Henry's side, his line, I'm the bad guy because I did a bad guy thing. You mentioned it at the beginning, but this absolutism behind that line, uh, it seems like Henry kind of believes that, or at least he's trying to talk himself into believing that. Uh, He has the entirety of Kansas City searching for him right now. So uh, it's a interesting viewpoint that he has on his situation. Look, effectively, this guy sounds like a hero. He sounds wonderful. He sounds kind. He's basically giving up Patrick Mahomes. That's what he's doing. And that's a tall ask, okay? Kansas City is not going to take lightly to you giving up Patrick Mahomes. So, but for sure, I, I think we have to bring back morality vibe check. Did Henry do anything wrong here, Jacob? Uh, it's not a simple yes or no question. Uh, or yes or no answer. I mean, I can't say I would do anything different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he did kind of give up an innocent person. So, uh, again, this is getting into kind of those gray areas of the situation, but I will say, I don't know that I would have handled the situation any differently. Is it right or wrong? It's, I don't think it's absolutely one way or the other. That's the right answer. It was a trick question. It was a trap, but <laughs> at least, at least in my opinion, I, yeah, I like, I don't think you can knock Henry. Certainly whether you would do the same thing or not, or whether you think there was anything wrong in, in giving up uh, Michael at Kathleen's brother. I, I don't think you can look at this and knock Henry for what he did. Except Henry clearly does. He's guilty over that. He wanted to be part of this resistance group. I think that's another very interesting detail of Henry's character. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be a rat. He doesn't want to back uh, cooperate with Fedra. He hates them. He's disgusted by them, and he views what's happening now as his just desserts. He he thinks them hunting him down is is what he deserves for doing something so awful for Sam. But at the same time, I don't think he regrets the decision. I think he feels guilty, but I, I think he would do it over again if he had to, because he's going to do anything that he can to protect Sam. So I I, I agree with you. I, I, I can't knock 
uh, Henry at all for what he did. And in fact, I mean, have you have you seen Sam? He's too cute. We already discussed this. How could you? How could you know? Even Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry, is, is Sam's cuter? But would you uh, give up Patrick Mahomes to save Sam? Stop trying to get me in trouble. Stop trying to get me in trouble, Jacob. I have two fans to listen to this podcast. Oh, oh God. That's effectively what happened. They gave up Kansas City, post-apocalyptic Kansas City's Patrick Mahomes the day before the Super Bowl, right when they were about to, to, to you know, well, I, actually, I don't know the timing. So it's, it's sort of interesting. And we we sort of, uh, going to get into this here actually in the next section, but this this idea of the differences between Kathleen and her brother. But we did get a little bit more exposition on Kansas City and he drew the little highway map. It's not quite as like, like he almost drew like 670 and 35 and 70 is like, street blocks which is not quite how it works but still it was cool to to see him point out the things also the shot uh that they had in from that office building when they were looking out onto kansas city in the daytime was just again just another cool example of me pointing at the screen you're like oh my god it's the at&t building right like right there again this is like effectively right where i had an apartment in kansas city where this is supposed to be um so again just it's so silly how needlessly they tried to replicate Kansas City uh, in in some cool ways. Some maybe not quite as well when they get to the suburb part, um, but, we, but we can talk about that later. But uh, I always thought that that was interesting. But did your uh, hotel building or your uh, apartment building survive? You know, I don't think it would be. I, I don't think the apartment building was was actually created in two thousand three. So I don't. So I don't think it was there. But. But but yeah, the rest of the downtown, the sprints, the excuse me, the T-Mobile Center now. But before earlier, before that was a Sprint Center. That's not there either. I think based on the timeline. But um, again, just just cool uh, being from Kansas City to see that stuff. The tunnels, we can talk about them a little bit more. It's adapted a little bit from the game, changed a little bit in the game. That it was sewers that they were going into. It they kind of smash together a couple storylines to to make it a little bit shorter there's a moment in the game where i where henry and sam bail on joel and ellie and eventually they come back together shortly thereafter and they go through these tunnels to get on the other side of this big mountain or these sewers i should say to get on the other side of this big mountain and that is the tunnels that we see in the show it as we're going to discuss here in a minute, uh, led to a very detailed side story that uh, they pay homage to, but that is where we get the kind of the playroom that uh, the that Joel, Ellie, Henry, and Sam all kind of waited out in and, and play around a little bit in. Uh, so it was that part, kind of the the colony underground was adapted from the game and pretty straightforward in that regard. Also super telling that, um, that, that the line about where, where they both refute that Joel is Ellie's dad at the same time, because (laughs) they did it too quickly. Right. Like if, if, if it's just like, Oh oh, no, he's, no, he's not my dad. You know, like that's what you would have said if it was just someone that, Oh, silly mistake. That's not my dad. But you can tell that they're, you know, this is complicated now for them in a few different ways, but that's their guy. Like, oh, no, 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 he's not my dad. I'm not, I'm not her dad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was, that was cool. But then, yeah. So we get this allusion to this side story from the game. So as we've alluded to a few different times, one of the really interesting ways that the game is able to do storytelling in ways that the show cannot really 
is fleshing out these details with lore that you find and that you pick up. You pick up a letter, you pick up a note, you read something, you find a different place as you're exploring, you find a body, what happened to that, and all this other thing. And we get this um we get these references to Ish, who probably I would say is the most notable story uh of lore that you would find in the game. I would say certainly you, you get several pieces of, of of lore that you can pick up from Ish. Wanted to quickly just sort of tell that story just because it's it's sort of cool in the game. So he he Druckman teased us in the podcast. He's like, ah, we could have done like an ish standalone episode. I'm like, damn it, come on. I, I, I want I want that content too. Uh, maybe that maybe they'll come out with it one day as, as a little just a little short film or something. But we with a we first find and again this is in Pittsburgh, so not Kansas City, so it's not exactly one to one, but we find a crashed boat and we find out that Ish was this guy that when the apocalypse hit he had a boat, and he's just like, peace, I'm out. I'm going out on the water. I'm going to live out on there for a while. But once he was out of supplies, he came back, and he set up a safe house in the sewers. Not quite the tunnels, but in the sewers. Um, Ish wasn't strong, but he was fast. And he knew that he could lose people in sort of the labyrinthy areas of the sewers uh, and, and come back later if he needed to. But later, he found a family outside the suburbs with kids that he traded with, and he was – he remarked about, oh, my God, people that just didn't shoot me uh, at first. And he decides to risk it, deciding that there's no point in surviving alone. And he invites them to join them uh, in his safe house, as it's much safer than where they're at in the suburbs. They also later meet a man named Danny. Uh, you can see the drawing in the show of Danny and Ish, who the children labeled as our protectors. Exact same drawing that's in the game. Uh, and then one day, some you could see the house rules that were on there as well. Make sure the doors are locked. When you hear the alarm, run to the hiding spots, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One day, someone left open one door, and that's all it took. Everything went to shit. And at one point, later on in, in the sewers, you find Danny's body with a tarp uh, over two little ones that you can only see the feet of. Uh, and you have this note that you pick up, which, again, dark. Uh, but the note says, we're trapped. I think everyone else is dead. Some of the little ones are with me. I got infected pounding at the door. I don't know how long we'll hold out. If Ish and the others are alive, maybe they can reach us. They have to reach us. If it comes down to it, I'll make it quick. And then obviously you find their body. So didn't go great. Uh, we know Ish, Susan, and some of the children made it out uh, from a, a later note you find in the suburbs, but their ultimate fate is unknown. But just a cool little allusion to some of the game lore that you pick up throughout uh, throughout The Last of Us. Uh, one that I'm, I'm glad they included, which obviously it's it's a sad, short little story there, but also you got the sense as you pick them up of Ish's personality, um, and it, it was it was almost like a character that you didn't quite meet, but you still got to know through these pickups in the game. Which uh, again, we encourage anyone if if you're having fun with the story after this is done, go back and play the game. It's it's coming out on PC soon as well. Yeah, I was really hopeful that this would be one of the stories that they would flesh out a little bit more, but you had to draw the line somewhere. And this was one of them that got cut. I was still very happy to see them keep this part of it. And specifically the picture that you mentioned hanging up on the wall, that is literally the picture from the game. So uh, paying homage to that whole storyline and, and what you find in the game was great. Savage starlight. We see our first comic, as you said, I believe last week in the spoiler section that this would probably be how we find the comics. 
is through Sam kind of was, it was also underground a little bit where they find one of the issues. Uh, we find out Ellie had a couple that we didn't know about, but this is another thing that was in the game as well. It's one of the collectibles you can find throughout and something that, uh, Ellie, I mean, uh, throughout the, the game is reading these and kind of updating you on the, uh, plot lines of Savage Starlight as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, in the game, she steals the first copy from Bill and we talked about how that doesn't, you know, Bill's not really the character that you would think that Ellie would bond with that type of thing over. So I, I think this is a good change. It's interesting that she already knew about the comics um, beforehand, which is, which is, you know, she just finds these comics and it's like, oh, this is cool. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the game, there are just these collectibles that you can pick up. So as you're wandering around as Joel, you find a Savage Starlight comics. And Joel's like, hey, Ellie, I got another one of them comics you've been reading. Uh, and she's like, oh, cool. And it's just, uh, you know, Video games, collectibles. If you play games, you know what that is. Um, but it was definitely the the coolest example of that. Uh, the best the best type of collectible that you could have in The Last of Us. And you pick it up and you have like a little bit of a. Uh, you, you basically just, you read it like it was like you're reading the back of a book of just like uh, here's what happens in this adventure, but you don't get to like read the full thing or anything. But just a, a cool little detail that they included, not surprising at all. And obviously, endure and survive. This catchphrase. That is the title of the episode. It's it's sort of like a it's a, as as uh, Henry and, and Joel make fun of it a little bit later in the episode. It's not you know it's a little corny, it's a little cheesy, but it's a little redundant as they point out. But it is definitely something that Last of Us fans have. Uh, it's sort of like a catchphrase that Last of Us fans have have latched onto for a while. It was almost the name of this podcast, but somebody else was smarter than us and grabbed it first but it uh i'm glad we saw savage starlight i'm glad we see the interactions between sam and ellie and for the first time in this series you see ellie as a child and as a kid sam really brings out kind of the the child the inner child out of ellie it's something growing up in this world and especially in her circumstances there probably haven't been many moments in her life, especially recently, where she's been able to kind of be this innocent child playing soccer or whatever it is that they were doing, reading comics and uh, joking with one another and whatnot that they were underground. So that connection that's built there as well uh, kind of starts in these tunnels. It, I, I guess it started in the, the boardroom, but it, it grows stronger in these tunnels and it was just nice to see Ellie laughing and smiling and having fun because that's not a that's not something we get to see often in this post-apocalyptic right. world. For sure, and and I think as soon as you see it, I mean, this is not something that I ever like spend time like thinking thinking too much about. I don't have kids or anything like that, but it's so clear once they're together that it's just like right, like this is a big part of being a kid is is being able to interact with other kids and, and, and play and, uh, and, and have fun and have find things with people your age to bond over. It's such an important part of life that is ripped away from, from so many kids in this world. And, and, and Ellie obviously grew up at the orphanage and we know she had interactions with other young people her age before, but it's just, it's, it's just, 
it's a small you could consider it a very small thing in the grand scheme of things, but it's, it's really sad to, to think about that aspect. And it's, it's, you can, you can, the biggest way you can notice this is on Henry's face when he's watching Sam and Ellie interact. And he's just, he, he just has the biggest smile on his face. Like, wow, I haven't seen this in a long time of Sam being happy and interacting with other kids. And it's just so important. Do we think Fedra schools had recess? Look, I hope so because you know they certainly weren't doing much teaching. We know that, okay? <laughs> so say, hopefully, what else? I don't know what else they would have been doing. Hopefully, they at least had recess, but maybe that was the thing. Maybe it was only recess. Only recess, <laughs> no schools. Uh, I'm not sure, but sorry, Fedra. I'm not sorry. Fuck you. Part three: whew, Suburbs. Perry finds Kathleen in her childhood apartment. And tells her they haven't found Henry or, quote, the man who killed Brian. Kathleen reminisces about how beautiful of a person her brother Michael was. And she says Michael would be horrified by the things that she's done. And she knows that Michael wouldn't want her to hurt Henry. He would want her to forgive. But she doesn't care, saying that forgiveness is pointless and she wants justice. Perry tells her that while Michael was a great man, he actually didn't change anything. But she did. And because of that, they're with her. Till the end of the line, as Captain Bucky would say. Hold that thought, though, because the line is coming right up. Uh, at night, in the suburbs, Henry is satisfied with the success of his plan. Ellie tells Henry and Sam that they're headed to Wyoming. Joel immediately glances back, a look of disapproval. But Ellie says he'll change his mind. <laughs> She's cut off by a sniper firing at them from the upper story of a house down the street. They take cover and are pinned down. Joel says he will flank around to get the sniper, saying he won't get hit because it's dark, and this sniper has shit aim, having missed multiple times already. Ellie objects, but Joel asks, do you trust me? And she does. Joel flanks. He was right. The sniper sucks. He misses several times. And when he gets up there, Joel realizes it's because he's an old man. He gets the jump on him, and Joel tells the old man to hand over the gun, stay up there for an hour, and he can live. Joel realizes what he's going to do. He begs him not to do it, but the old man begins to turn the gun toward Joel, and Joel puts him down. We find out from a radio that the old man's name was Anthony, and he was being instructed by Kathleen to keep our protagonist pinned down until the cavalry arrives, and they're coming. Joel takes out the lead truck driver with a sniper, which crashes into the house and catches on fire and explodes. But the cavalry shows up, and they are too large. There's too many people. They are not going to make this out of it. Completely surrounded, Henry, Ellie, and Sam are hiding behind a truck, and Kathleen tells Henry to come out. Henry says he will if she lets the kids go. No, sorry. The girl is with the man that killed Brian, and Sam, well, Sam's with you. Kathleen says she actually does know why Henry betrayed Michael, and disgustingly asks if he considered that Sam was supposed to die in front of Sam. Uh, kids die, Henry. They die all the time. You think the world revolves around him, that he's worth everything? Henry walks out with his hands up, and Kathleen is about to shoot him. When is that the infected's music? The truck that exploded sinks into the ground, and a massive horde of infected come bursting out of the hole. 
Separated from Henry and Sam, Ellie runs as Joel saves her multiple times with a sniper. Turns out Joel does not, in fact, suck at shooting. A gigantic behemoth of an infected, known as a bloater, emerges from the hole, slams someone down with incredible force, I think shoots someone off into the air as well, uh, and he just full tanks a clip of Perry's assault rifle. Oh, and then by the way, he rips Perry's head off. R.I.P. Jeffrey Pierce. Joel misses a few shots as a small clicker girl climbs into the car that Ellie had just gotten into. Joel can't get a clear shot and is visibly terrified, but Ellie escapes the car. Ellie then sees Henry and Sam cornered under a car by two clickers. Ellie glances up at the tower or the house, knowing that Joel has been covering her and decides to try and save them with Joel's help that she knows she'll continue to get. She runs forward and with Joel's cover fire, is able to get to the clickers, stabbing them, and running away with Henry and Sam. We won't learn until later that Sam was just bitten. Kathleen catches up with them, aiming at Henry, before the clicker girl jumps Kathleen, killing her. Our protagonists run as the infected horde wins the day, pouring out over the town. Kansas City is lost. Oh, tough tough, tough stretch for my guys in KC. Uh, this was, Jacob, an incredible action sequence. This is in the game, but it was way heightened and improved in the show due to, due to several reasons. So first of all, obviously, is the main thing we've been talking about, which is giving us characters that we have gotten to spend a little bit of time with, with Kathleen and Perry, uh, and just this backstory of this Kansas City resistance group in general. Also, it was at night, which it was in daytime during the game. The it was, it was a really fun sequence in the game because you get a sniper, which this is the only time in The Last of Us 1 that you have a sniper rifle. And it's fun to just go to mow these people down with infinite ammo, which apparently they carried over the infinite ammo part because between... <laughs> Anthony and Joel, they fired a lot of rounds, which is fine. It makes sense. They probably had a bunch of ammo up there with the, with the, with the sniper tower. Um, but b- basically in the game, Joel, there's the sniper. Joel flanks around. Joel kills the sniper. There's, he's not an old man. He's just a guy. We don't learn his name. He tries to kill Joel. Joel kills him. And he's like, okay, here's a sniper. Just another example of they're, they're going out of their way to, to find how can we make every single individual moment better and how can we make this violence have consequences how can we make it not just mindless killing as it's easy to do in a video game um but basically there are hunters that are coming through with a truck joel has to shoot them before they can get to ellie henry and sam and then after that there's some infected that are coming by and then you shoot the infected but it's not nearly as dramatic it's not nearly as intense there's not this massive horde pouring out of the hole which that was terrifying and so cool the way they did that. Uh, but Jacob, what do you think of this sequence? I think it was not realistic because Joel did not die a bunch during this scene. True. Uh, the, my Joel died a lot. Um, it hashtag, was hashtag not my Joel. Yeah, exactly. In, uh, in the game, the sniper is a lot more difficult. That was a change that they made. I liked the change with the sniper being an old man who clearly kind of doesn't want this fight, doesn't really want to be around anymore. Uh, 
in the game, it is not an old man. He is a much better sniper, and he is taunting you the entire time. And so you die often. Uh, but that was one of the changes they made. This was a neighborhood that they built. They built the entire neighborhood specifically for not just this show, but this scene. And that's what made it all feel and look so realistic is because it really was there. It was a uh, real neighborhood with real houses. They said, obviously, the houses weren't finished, but those were actual houses built for this show. The zombies that come flying out of the uh, ground were all actual humans with a few exceptions for some of the special. There was not actually a bloater, but other than that, they were all actual humans. So I think that's what made this scene look so incredible. And also shout out, shout out to the actors, the cast, the crew, because from our time being Game of Thrones fans, especially, I think we know that, and they talked about this in the podcast, that night shoots can be incredibly challenging for people because basically this it's weeks on end where your sleep schedule is messed up. You're doing everything at night. Your body's confused. Your internal clock is confused. Um, and it just, everything becomes so much more difficult. They had to do 11 weeks of night shooting for the long night in season eight on game of Thrones. Thankfully this was only like three weeks, yep. but even still that can be incredibly challenging for people to do just upend their schedule like that. And, and, have to do that solely at night but i do think it paid off i I think having it at night uh especially with the fire and with the horde of infected it looked incredible it it raised the stakes i think having it at night and it, it gave it this bigger sense of this big climactic moment that you as you said it wasn't quite the same it was a pretty intense scene in the game but it didn't have the same kind of weight to it there wasn't this big storyline being paid off in this moment it was just intense because there's a lot of zombies chasing you down and whatnot so uh joel sniping the driver and the driver crashing into the house was kind of an homage to the game as well that's how you kind of beat that part in the game you drive into the house and the zombies come flying out of the house um it obviously is a little bit different it falls into the ground and the zombies come from there but that that whole kind of part was a little homage to the game as well joel though he is a god tier sniper because in the midst of all that chaos he was clearing the way for ellie yeah joel definitely is in gm and uh anthony i'm pretty sure was in bronze there's there's there was a big skill gap there uh it was a skill issue for sure and uh, def, def, you know, I don't know if Joel has aimbot on or, or what's going on, but there was there was a big difference. There was a noticeable difference in the quality of their of their uh, third 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 person shooting. But I also just want you know, again, stop me if you've heard this before. I just want to rave about Pedro Pascal for a moment. He's so good. That little moment where he miss he he sees the child clicker before i think he even you can tell going back a rewatch you can tell he sees something before the audience before they show it before the audience sees it and he misses a shot and then they cut to the car and like the child clickers climbing into the the car and then they cut back to him and he just looks scared shitless that something's going to happen to ellie and it's he's so good like he he he's doing so much with so little lines and dialogue 
And I don't, I'm not even saying like they're not like giving Joel enough lines. It's just this role uh, to, to do it as well as he's doing it. It just, he's maximizing everything that's on the page and is just putting together a, a masterful acting performance, in my opinion. Breaking. Pedro Pascal is really good at acting. I wasn't sure if you guys had heard about that, but I just wanted to talk about that for a second. I think you're the first one to say that. Um, Molotov hot take. Pedro, <laughs> good at acting. Since we're on the topic as well, Children Clickers are new. We mentioned, I think, a couple episodes about the type of zombie or infected, and there were not children clickers. At least I don't remember any. No, oh my not. god, they are horrifying. So this raises this raises some questions. Okay, so first of all, they said they said they drove the infected into the ground like fifteen years ago, right? But one one key distinction is that these infected are not zombies. Uh, they're people that are alive that are infected with this mushroom infestation. But does that mean that kids like stop growing once they're infected? I have some questions about that. I'm not quite sure how they're implying that that necessarily works, but I get why they did it because it was scary. It was spoopy. Uh, that, uh, that was an interesting choice. And also the way that that kid actor like contorted, like through the, through the window and, and in the back seat was just even like scarier. That, that was, uh, that was creepy. It was a, a child contortionist actor, basically, that they hired. Uh, it had the same vibes as the girl from the ring. <laughs> Just the way it, the the child is climbing over the seats and uh, hunting down Ellie was, oh, my God, horrifying. So I don't know if I'm going to make you mad at me here, Jacob, but I saw this in the note. I wanted you to know I actually I've not seen the ring. Oh, my. Well, is that bad? Do I need to go back and watch that? It's a good horror movie. Save it until like October. Uh, I can't. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen, so I can't uh, criticize you too much. But it is a good horror movie to watch next time or uh, when Halloween comes around. The line. Well, first, as we're getting up to this, um, the sniper scene, the two lines or two kind of moments that I wanted to highlight. Ellie talking about asking Joel a million more times and him finally breaking down uh, got me to laugh. It also continues to show how kind of observant Ellie is to Joel's mannerisms and his personality and how much she is always paying attention and noting things about him. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. Also the line as Joel is getting going to stand up and leave them to take down the sniper. Do you trust me? That was interesting. That's not in the game in that moment. There uh, mm-hmm. certainly was not that question until I think probably much later on in the game. What did you think of, of having that there in that moment and her response? You know, I for a second, I thought they were about to climb on a magic carpet and burst down to, <laughs> into song of a whole new world. Uh, but no, yeah, I, 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 I really liked that. Joel asked that, which which is so interesting because it's as we've talked about before, and as you just sort of alluded to, Ellie is by far the more emotionally intelligent of the two of them, uh, even though she's so much younger. But the the fact that Joel is asking that, I think, implying that he knows that they trust each other at this point, which that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I love how like Ellie 
in, in Belle's performance is almost like she's she's like like annoyed that she's like the answer is yes like I, yeah I do <laughs> he's like fine you know what all right I do trust you go do your thing um I thought that was I thought that was a good line reading but yeah it was interesting that definitely that never that didn't happen in the game obviously Let's talk about Kathleen her uh, big moment her big scene here um I yeah. I, I, I liked her character and the purpose it served, but I'll let you go first. Kind of, I know you had some notes or some things you wanted to talk about. I do. Okay. So a few different things. A, I like that this character is a thing. Uh, I like that they, they, they did some interesting things in terms of fleshing out the resistance group and, and why this is, but my crafting upgrade here is I, I feel like they were one scene away from this character fully working. I like the casting choice. Uh, I'm not super familiar with Melanie Linsky. I know a lot of people love her. I thought she did well in the show, but in like on last week's official podcast, Mason and Druckmann, the way they were talking, were just like, Oh, hey, it's good. That you're asking these questions. Like what, why do these people follow her? And like, what did she do? Like what makes this character so special and so interesting? I just feel like we didn't quite get all the way there. It feels like just the answer to that question was, she was way more ruthless than her brother and was like willing to do what her brother would not, who is like an idealist. And while I think that raises maybe an interesting question of idealism and radicalism and where the line is and, and what goes too far, we, I, I, I don't know that I, I guess I was expecting some more significant character moments for her to, to make her a little, because they talk about humanizing villains all the time. And I got to say, I don't think she was humanized that well. Like she was sad about her brother and angry and wanted vengeance, but I'll throw it out there. Molotov hot take. I think you gotta, I think everyone objectively would draw the line when she's about to kill the kids. Like it'd be like, Henry is saying here, I will let you have my, your vengeance. I will let you kill me, but you just got to let the kids go. And the fact that she couldn't say yes to that, I was just like, okay, that's fine. And I'm not saying that she needed to. I'm not saying they needed to make her a good person or that they needed to make her a truly sympathetic villain. But I I think the subplot was just one – it was one scene away is my main take from like more fully working. Uh, and I, I don't think they quite got there. But that's okay. Not, not every character needs to be an A plus 10 out of 10 subplot. I still appreciate all the depth and all the detail that we got. Um, this is still way better, as I've talked about before, than what we got in the game during the section where you don't learn anything about these hunters other than they overthrew Fedra and now they're looking to kill you. Like that's that's pretty much it. They ambushed you for your stuff and now they're mad that you killed some of their people and they're looking to kill you. But I just I I don't think it quite a hundred percent hit the mark, but that's okay. I still love the episode. I would still give this episode a ten out of ten on a ten out of ten rating. But I think that's just that's just my biggest note. Is I, I don't think they got this character quite where she needed to be for it to fully work. I was surprised that when they started, they started after the overthrow had happened. Because I thought if you're going to give her one more scene, then probably give it before that uh, overthrow. So I don't disagree necessarily with anything you said. I also think and I, I not that I'm sure you agree her her character served a very interesting purpose in what she stood for and what her end result was because her dying to a clicker 
a child clicker that was very appropriate because uh, I think the implication is, and I, this is me reading into it because as you said, we don't really know if her brother was kind of this idealist that got them to a certain point, it was her being a radicalist that took them over the breaking point for better or for worse. Maybe they, they may not have been ready to do that. And clearly she wasn't ready to be a leader because she was so blinded by rage and revenge that she ignored the problem at hand that was showed to her multiple times. Uh, she knew that they were infected underground and that they needed to be dealt with. And we saw it last episode that we knew that they were close to breaking out. And instead of doing anything about that, she hit it so that she could continue going after Henry if she had listened to her brother and forgiven Henry, then she deals with the infected first and everybody stays alive. And Kansas city is still standing today in the post-apocalyptic world. But instead Kansas city has a much different faith because um, it, it, it ends with her again, her Perry said her brother didn't change anything that Kathleen did, but um, her brother was clearly more rational and, and Kathleen lost the city to the infected. And I mean, it twice she had a gun on Henry and twice she didn't kill him, which was interesting, but it was just this single track mind, like focused uh, single track focus of killing Henry at all costs that ultimately led to not just her downfall, but the entire city's downfall. Yeah, I would I would utilize another tiny crafting upgrade in in this sense. I, that was, you know, it's hard to fully escape this with television, but that was similar to how the the lighter with Tess had like unnecessary drama there that we talked about in episode two. This was a little silly, where it's like, okay, I'm about to shoot you. Wait, what's that thing falling into the ground? Hmm, hold on, let me yeah. let me pause this thought for 20 seconds while I watch that. Just be like, no, just like shoot him and then turn around and do that. But in, in terms of the writing of the show, you you could have handled that so much differently. Of just like she pulls pulls the gun on him, and and that's when like something sinks. You, you know, they could have just handled that a little bit differently. And then at the end, where she's just like, wait. And, and they stop and they turn around. It's like, no, just keep running. Like, yeah. don't, don't listen to her. Just keep running away. Um, maybe she sucks at aiming like Anthony does. But again, same thing. Like we could have, we didn't need to have the characters like turn and face her. She could have, we could have seen her like catching up to the characters, raising her gun, having it pointed at Henry. And then that's where she gets jumped by the clicker, right? Like that could, it just felt like somewhat a little unnecessary drama on there. Um, again, nitpicking, not a huge deal, but just, just one other small thing on there. It was one of those TV tropes that there haven't been many in this uh, series or this season, but it was definitely one there. I mean, also to the last point, Perry tells her to run when the bloater comes out and get away. And she doesn't. She still is looking for Henry and Sam, and that ultimately costs her. Also, hey, when the sinkhole is happening and the horde's coming out, like, back up, people. Back up faster. <laughs> Create a larger perimeter. They just sort of stood there with their guns. It's like, no, you need to, like, like come on, guys. <laughs> Create a larger perimeter. They can outshoot them. It's fine. Also, do they not have any grenades uh, or 
or no literal Molotovs. We haven't seen a Molotov cocktail, let alone a brick or a bottle. It's like, oh man. Okay. Like we need, we need some more video game supplies at some point here soon. I'm come on. They got to give me a brick or a bottle at some point. It's coming, right? Uh, I would have thought we would have gotten one by now for sure. I was going to say, if we haven't got one by now, I don't know if it's coming. I'm holding Uh, that hope. There is one other scene maybe where I could think that we might see it, but let's talk about the bloater. Cause boy, big boy, that absolute unit comes out of the hole and we, (laughs) we get the death animation for those of you that listen in the spoiler section last week, we said that we wanted uh, somebody's head ripped off, which when I phrase it like that sounds awful, but that was a animation in the game. Whenever a bloater would kill you, uh, one of the kind of infamous animations was that it would rip your head off and yeah. it became very famous, infamous, however you want to phrase it. I it was <laughs> morbidly excited that that is how Perry died suiting fitting for perry uh the voice of tommy to be the one to receive that fate but i was excited to see uh again another homage to the game in that moment yeah uh and apparently mason actually wanted him to rip him in half which i was was surprised that they didn't come at it from the angle of just like okay let's recreate this thing where like they rip your face off um but but yeah, that any I've seen Joel get his face ripped off because I've died to that bloater uh, a million times. And again, in the game, um, I alluded to it without getting into details on the bloater. I, I said that in Bill's town, that's when you run into a different type of infected. That was this one. You run into a bloater in the gymnasium uh, outside of where they're trying to get the truck battery when you're with Bill. And it's the game's first boss fight where there, you are trapped in this room with a big bloater who's running at you and will rip your face off. One slight difference is the other thing that made the bloater unique in the game was it was the only one that had a ranged attack. It could throw like these spores at you, which again, we've already talked about how they're not really doing the spores, so that makes sense why they took that out. And also that's that's more of a video game thing of, of introducing a different enemy that has a ranged attack uh, to you that they don't necessarily have to do in the show, but that's just one other small difference I noticed. The other difference I, I, I alluded to, it was a boss fight. That meant you could kill it. This thing looked pretty unkillable. Uh, <laughs> it just takes like a full clip of assault rifle like it was nothing. Uh, you know, in the game, you throw one Molotov cocktail at it and you shoot it in the face maybe three or four times with the shotgun and then it'll go now, which is, it's a lot. It took a lot to bring him down. But you still got the sense as you were like shooting it that it was at least like hurting it and doing something. This this boy was a beast. Will, Willie Rofe, who I assume is, has to be who it was, the star left tackle for the 2003 Chiefs. That <laughs> he was pretty. It was big. I, mean, I have to assume that that Willie Rofe is probably the only person in Kansas City that would have been that big. So I, mean, I have to assume that's who it was, as I alluded to in the last uh, last episode. But uh, it looked great. Looked exactly like a bloater from the game. Looked scary. I kind of don't like that they gave it away in the teaser, but I get why they did that. It's a you know, TV. They got to tease things uh, and hype things up for the next episode. But um, yeah, bloaters. Yeah, I'm glad that they, I mean, in, in some senses, I'm glad they made it unkillable because, uh, I mean, we've talked about this world in the show is a far more dangerous world. And I mean, as you see the, with the zombies and the clickers, we even get a line in earlier in the show where uh, Ellie says that they've 
seen clickers. They came up against two of them and Henry said, oh, and you're still alive. You're like you're the right people for this job. So uh, we see that this world is far more dangerous. So having known that and knowing how <laughs> impossible clickers or uh, bloaters were in the game. Yeah, it would make sense if that thing uh, looked absolutely like you were not going to be killing that with any normal weapon that uh, anybody in a post-apocalyptic world would have. All right, Jacob, are you ready to uh, discuss a television show while attempting not to cry? Oh, boy. I'll give it my best go. No promises. Part four, ending up alone. Joel, Ellie, Henry, and Sam have escaped and they found a motel to crash at for the night, presumably outside the city. Henry asks if the kids are okay and or asks Joel if he thinks the kids are okay. And Joel says it's actually easier for them because they don't have anyone relying on them. Joel somewhat surprisingly invites Henry and Sam to join them on their journey to Wyoming. And Henry quickly agrees saying it'll be nice for Sam to have a friend in Ellie. Sam and Ellie are reading the Savage Starlight comics together, but Sam stops her and the two have a conversation via Sam's board that he writes on. Sam asks Ellie if she's ever scared because she doesn't look like it. And while Ellie first mentions scorpions, she actually reveals her deepest fear to him. She's scared of ending up alone. Sam asks, if you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? And Sam shows her that he was bitten on his leg. Ellie shows her bite mark on her arm and writes that her blood is medicine. Ellie cuts her hand, puts her blood on Sam's wound. Ellie, unfortunately, is not a doctor, and WebMD isn't even around for her to more convincingly pretend to be one. Stay awake with me, Sam writes. I promise, Ellie writes. And Sam teaches her the sign for promise, and they hug. In the morning, Ellie wakes up in the chair between their beds. She had dozed off and Sam is sitting upright on the bed facing away from her. Ellie approaches Sam, but he's now completely infected. He just hadn't heard her or noticed her until she touched his shoulder. Ellie runs into the other room with Joel and Henry, and infected Sam is now on top of her, clawing at her. Joel reaches for his gun, but Henry grabs it first. Ellie screams for Joel's help, and Henry shoots at the ground by Joel's feet to keep him away from his brother. Ellie screams again, and instinctively, Henry turns and shoots his brother, saving Ellie. After Joel asks Ellie if she's okay, Henry points the gun at Joel. Henry is overcome with shock, grief, and guilt. He repeatedly asks, what did I do? Joel tries to get Henry to give him the gun, but Henry shoots himself in the head. Joel buries Henry and Sam and Ellie leaves Sam's writing board on his grave with one final message to him. I'm sorry. Ellie asks Joel, which way is west? And immediately begins walking. Joel stands there for a moment, considering the danger he's in. Joel just witnessed it happen to someone else, and he didn't realize until this moment just how close he is to reliving his worst nightmare. Jacob... This is a death that like we like we talked about. We knew it was coming. It still hurts. It's probably I would say I would say even even above the Sarah moment because of how suddenly it happens. I would say it's the most shocking moment in the game. And it's a doozy. I would say 
I'm not even sure this will be my hot take. I don't even know if it is one. I think this hits harder in the show than it does the game. Um, I said that about Sarah's death too. I think it's just the, the medium, the platform that they're telling the story on lends itself to becoming more connected with these characters. And Oh man, like you said, I, I spent the whole episode knowing what the fate was going to be. We, we even kind of joked last week that Sam is so cute that could they possibly have a different fate, but that ultimately they can't because of, of other things that are going to happen. So we, even even knowing that, good Lord, um, what a moment that is. And it sounds like one thing they actually did consider, they didn't go into details because they like didn't want people to be mad if they thought something was better, but it sounds like they maybe considered a different ending for Henry, which this, this is pretty much uh, f- from this whole motel sequence, other than a couple differences we'll get into, that last scene is pretty much beat for beat exactly what happens. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's tough, but, uh, I, yeah, we were, we were speculating in the last part. It's just like, could they live? Maybe. Is it going to live? And I, I was, I was, I was out at a, a party in Arizona, uh, while the episode was being live. And I could tell immediately just from even like checking like one thing of Twitter or one text. It was like, Oh no, they did it. <laughs> I, yeah. I could tell. Like, oh yeah. No, they, they did the same thing. Which they had to, but God, the, they made Sam such as more innocent character which makes the his fate all the more heartbreaking with Henry as well i think they made an a, a change that i thought was interesting you said that uh, he kind of just instinctively kills sam that he hears ellie yell and he turns and shoots and then he has this moment of realization of what happened and i thought that moment is acted out so well as he's kind of coming to grips uh, with what he did. Lamar Johnson did incredible in this scene. But the interesting change they made in the game, the line he kind of keeps repeating is, this is your fault. And I think they did that to make it look like he's mad at Joel. And eventually, I mean, obviously when he's saying this is your fault, he's talking to himself. In the show... He says, what did I do? Which it eliminates any, uh, we know exactly what he's talking about there. So it, it really hit hard. For sure. So in, in the game, the first time you see the scene, and if you, if you want to go back and see what happened to it, you'll understand what we're talking about. The first time you see it, it's easy to misread it as Henry, like, trying to say this this is Joel's fault. So it, what he says is, but you can almost barely hear him. He's so choked up at the parties. He says, Henry, what have you done? And then he is pointing the gun at Joel and yeah, repeatedly says, this is your fault. It's all your fault before turning the gun on himself and killing him. And we obviously were able to, to correctly read it on, especially on later viewings, that he's definitely not blaming Joel. He's blaming himself. Uh, he's saying that this is this is my fault. But I, th- yeah, I, th- I thought that was a better reframing of it. 
because it made it clear, much more clear to the audience. And I, I don't think that the thinking that he was blaming Joel for a second before killing himself, like, I don't think that was a necessary part of that scene. Um, and I think that this, uh, you mentioned Lamar Johnson, like, again, I, I thought he was fucking incredible uh, in this episode. And that one of one of my again i i i, I, I sorry uh sorry nick offerman i i might yeah i might yank the guest star emmy i, I handed out to you uh so too quickly he it's probably still going to be nick offerman i bet just because of the hype that that episode got and also nick you know nick offerman has a little bit of uh name recognition that that lamar johnson doesn't have and but, but I just I thought Lamar Johnson was so incredible, and I thought he was in a lot of ways he was he was the heart of this episode, and in a lot of ways we were seeing everything through his eyes, and it was just an incredible episode of television. And I thought Lamar Johnson was such a huge part of that. Uh, I did want to say I, I mentioned this in the spoiler section of maybe a few weeks ago. But there's a, there was a couple moments that I was like that are coming up that I hope they shoot well and aren't overly gratuitous with how they display it, especially in, in terms of some of the shocking ones. This is one of the big ones I was referring to. I think they shot it very tastefully. Obviously, it's gruesome. It's violent. It's dark. It, there's nothing they could do to make this sequence of events not that way. But they also shot it very tastefully in a way that you don't really see Sam dead they don't show his face. You can just sort of, they focus on the blood spilling out. You see Henry turning the gun toward himself. I thought they shot it really well. So that was, and I think that was probably on the page. That's probably a very intentional decision in the writing, but I'm glad that they did that. This is also setting up a very interesting, you know, we, we already talked about that. All, a lot of these side characters are, very, are their characters in themselves and they have their own story and their own core and things that make them different. But along the way, they're also finding these ways to parallel them with Joel and with Ellie. And specifically in this moment, Joel, because Joel was faced with this moment 20 years ago and he made a different choice. Obviously he chose to keep going to live on. There actually was a very small moment. I almost forgot about in the game that I found out that I resaw this week where Joel and Ellie in Pittsburgh in the same sort section of the game before they meet up with Henry and Sam, they find like a bathtub with a couple that had killed themselves. And Ellie says, I guess they took the easy way out. And Joel says it ain't easy. And effectively then at the end, he says, trust me, which implies he's pro- he probably considered the same choice that Henry made, but maybe he couldn't do it. Or maybe he just ended up deciding not to do it for very different reasons. But uh, again, I can't knock Henry for for his his choice that he made here. His what he viewed as his reason to keep living uh, just went away in in a flash before he could even fully wake up, probably. Um, and and he knew immediately that that's what he wanted to do. After this scene, let's talk about a couple things that happen. Um, start off first, as they're obviously finishing up burying these two. Ellie brings the board that they had used to write on and writes, I'm sorry, and puts it on the grave. Um, it's, it's not something that happens in the game. In the game, Henry kills himself, the screen goes black, and you jump ahead to what will be the next episode. Um, 
so there that whole part was added in what did you think of uh kind of that moment and that choice from ellie it hurt uh i thought it was a good choice um it's a striking visual obviously also the prop that they used for sam's board that was incredible um loved, loved how they were able to use that and it looked great uh that being her message makes a ton of sense. She has survivor guilt with regards to her immunity. Like why, why me? Why am I the one that's immune? She obviously thought, and we'll talk about this, that she thought she was going to be hero in saving her. Um, but I thought it was such a beautiful thing to leave on the grave. And, and this is different. We don't, we don't see them bury Henry and Sam in the game. It cuts and it jumps forward to what's, you know, where they're going to be in the next episode. Uh, after, after some Gustavo guitar playing in a black screen for a little while, but Ellie does. So there's a moment that happens in the game, which is, it, it sort of becomes the symbol of her remembering Sam, which is they're going through Pittsburgh and they're in a store and Sam finds a robot toy that looks like a transformer and he's about to take it and put it in his pack. And Henry sort of has this moral code. That's like, what's the rule about taking stuff that isn't ours. We only take what we have to. So leave it, leave the toy. And obviously that's a different code than Ellie has because Ellie sees that this little toy was bringing Sam joy. So she sneakily picks it up. You can see it in gameplay if you're paying attention that she picks it up, puts it in her backpack. And then later in the scene where she's talking to Sam, she the last thing she does is she busts out this this toy and leaves it for Sam, saying, you know, what Henry doesn't know won't hurt him. Uh, and then later, Ellie regrets that she forgot to leave this robot toy on Sam's grave. Um, but that's definitely a, a detail to show that it, it, it definitely makes sense, especially with the change of making Sam deaf, that this is in, in some ways more powerful that she's able to literally leave a final parting message to Sam. And it, it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, Joel also in this moment, we see him uh, coming to a realization of, a lot of kind of his own personal feelings as he's burying uh, these two, as he sees Ellie leave this note. And as Ellie starts to walk away again, a moment where he's not saying Pedro Pascal is not saying anything, but you can tell everything that's going on. He is realizing that his worst nightmare was losing Sarah and he's kind of right back in that situation or getting something very close to it with Ellie. And he's worried. He, he, he obviously want, this is the last thing he wanted to happen. And it's sort of Mason puts it. He, he realizes it, but he didn't realize he didn't, he, he doesn't know how it happened, but he yeah. now is aware that fuck, I, I, this could happen again. And he just witnessed it and small, small complaint, but, and 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 Bella gave such a great performance in that moment that I get why they did that. But I would I would have in in the game they more focus on Joel's face right before they cut to black after after this happens. And I think that would have been the more interesting character to focus on solely just because this is 
this is him witnessing and, and again, reliving in, in a uh, spectator point of way, his trauma that is so central to his character. So I thought that was kind of, a, I, I would have at least shown Pedro's face in a reaction to it, but uh, it was, it was interesting to see Ali's reaction as well, but small nitpick there. Another uh, interesting thing before all this was the conversation that they, uh, Henry and Joel have where we mentioned earlier uh, that Joel, uh, the the scene where Ellie's like, I'm going to ask a million times. It was about them joining them on the way to Wyoming. Joel didn't seem thrilled about it. And now Joel is offering for them to go with them to Wyoming. It was a, uh, it was a, a, another look at Joel in the show and how he, um, is a lot more open than Joel in the game might be. And I like, we never, act, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I think they're just sort they agree to get exit the city together. And at one point they're like, Hey, we're actually looking for the fireflies too. I don't think they explicitly agree to go on this journey, like all the way to Wyoming together um, at any point. But I, I, the reason I like this change more is that gives more meaning behind this moment of Joel extending that invitation. Cause it's not like, Oh, Hey, you're going to the fireflies. Okay. We're, we are too. We might as well go together. He realizes that Henry and Sam don't know what they're doing next. And Joel of all people invites them in to grow from a tribe of two to a, a tribe of four. And that's such a big moment for his character that this guy who's been through what he's been through recognizes and and sees these things in these two people and in in this kid and, and in this guy that he he's willing to let two more strangers into this group even though he's so scared of obviously what he's scared of and wanting to protect Ellie at all costs the fact that he's able to do that is is such a huge moment for him so that's why I really like that that change and that decision even though obviously it doesn't work out, but you know, Ellie and Sam, let's talk about their conversation. Uh, it played out largely the same as it did in the, at least in terms of the dialogue as it did in the game. They hit a lot of the same notes. I was a little worried about how that conversation would go because it is an important moment in the game. As we find out, Ellie's line of I'm scared of ending up alone is something that is important to note going forward. So this was an important scene. And like I said, I was a little worried about how it would come across now with uh, Sam being deaf. I It worked fantastically. And we had wondered, okay, like, does maybe Ellie already know sign language? Because we knew that obviously this this bond that she forms with Sam is so important. Um, and uh, again, the survivor guilt that I talked about, is so important for Ellie going forward because obviously this raises the stakes when you see something so tragic like this happen to someone so undeserving as, as Sam of this type of fate, this reinforces the need for, if they can get a cure for this thing that could change the world. They could prevent these types of things from happening. They might not ever fully stave off the infected. They might not uh, cure the world of this whole thing, 
But if they could prevent something like that from happening where this kid would have lived, that makes all the difference in the world, it would, especially to Henry. That would have made all the difference to Henry's world. Henry would have been spared that pain and been spared that tragedy, and he would still be alive as well. But um, that th- this decision to have him be deaf, that's why we're wondering, okay, maybe Ellie already knows a way to communicate via sign language. But having this board, again, such a great decision because instead of lessening this conversation, yeah. it hi- heightens it because we have to sit with each message for a for a beat. We have to sit with Ellie saying, I'm scared of ending up alone. You just have to sit with that for like 15 seconds. Um, and that's it's such a simple thing, but it's such a powerful way to make every beat of that conversation hit even harder. And then obviously we got to get into the the biggest change of this whole Henry Sam uh, death sequence, which is that that Sam told Ellie. The uh, I will say the the I'm scared of ending up alone part was also a fascinating look at kind of Ellie's psyche that we don't always see as well. But yeah, the the big difference in the this scene versus the game is Sam revealing that he is bitten. Uh, the game, they have this conversation, and then Ellie leaves the room to go to sleep, and Sam then sits down, pulls up the pant leg, and you see, oh, God, he's bitten. The Obviously, in the, the show, it's a, it's a different choice that makes sense because I'm sure Sam is terrified in that moment because he knows he's bitten, uh, it was equally kind of heartbreaking that Ellie immediately thinks that she can save him. She's been told that she's this hero and this is her moment where she thinks, oh, my, I'm immune. My blood is immune. I'll just give you my blood. Obviously, it doesn't work like that. And Neil Druckmann said uh, in the podcast that this also kind of addresses one of the fan theories out there that if Ellie was... Uh, immune why couldn't she just give her blood to people and this kind of answers that it wasn't it's not that simple uh, but it was again a a decision that made sense given what they the changes they made to Sam's character it also made again this whole thing that much more heartbreaking because it leads to a couple other lines that are going to to live with us look Ellie we got to give her credit she did her own research and determined that the best way to go about this was just sprinkle a little blood on there. It's going to be fine. Okay. Just, just trust me. Um, yeah. Ellie, not a doctor. Um, you know, even if you're immune, I feel like mixing blood with an infected person seems inadvisable. Uh, I wouldn't risk that. Even if you're going to do that, like make it so you're not like putting Sam's blood into your blood at the very least. Cause you, she was just smearing, smashing those two things together. I wouldn't advise that personally, but um, also Ellie, I have some notes, not not trying to make too light of the sequence, but you didn't even consider the possibility in the morning that Sam had turned like just approach with, you know, didn't have a hand on a knife just in case or a gun or anything. Just like went up and be like, oh, hey, Sam, my buddy, how you do? Oh, you know, he's infected. Oh, gosh. Um, Come on, Ellie, We, we, we expect a little bit more from you than that. But 
Yes, uh, that was tough. That's heartbreaking. And obviously, that I, I think a big part of why Sam would make this decision differently than game Sam is the age and the fact yeah. that they, they talked about the, a little bit of this notion that Sam is looking up to Ellie because she's older, slightly more capable in terms of you know having a weapon and, and this and that and all that stuff. Um, and he's scared and he's turning to someone he looks up to, which is obviously a different dynamic than a girl that is a year older than you that you're trying to be like, oh, oh yeah, I'm the same age. Uh, and like, you don't, you probably, you, that that's a different type of decision to ask a 12 or 13 year old boy to make as opposed to an eight year old boy uh, to someone that he looks up to. But it made it all the more heartbreaking. Um it, it's a, a powerful moment. Some, someone tweeted me. I, I, I apologize. I don't have it right in front of me. I'm trying to remember who it was, but someone's like, Hey, I'm not familiar with the game, but uh, I didn't realize this was going to be like the most emotional television show of all time. I'm like, yeah, you get it. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. That's, that's what we were expecting. Um, it's a, it, as a game, it was already one of the most emotional things I'd ever consumed. Period. Yeah. Like, so any, like any story I've ever yeah. consumed has, this this game made me feel like stronger, more intense emotions about it than anything I've ever listened to. And people obviously ar- around me have known that I've been obsessed with this story for a long time. And that's why is I just, I haven't, there are very few things that have been able to replicate this strong of emotions within me. And some of them are very sad emotions even still, but that's to me, the most powerful thing a story can do is t- to make you feel these things so strongly just watching a television show or playing a game and they are doing a great job bringing that to life. Obviously again, to my hot take I had earlier and just to an overall point, you were talking toward the beginning of the show about, or this episode about uh, when we were discussing in the first week and even all the leading up to this, we've said this before, but I don't think either of us even considered the possibility that this would exceed our expectations that we just wanted it to kind of live up to the expectation for the fact that kind of two of the biggest scenes uh, of the show, Sarah's death and this Sam's death, both I felt have been more powerful in the TV show. Just again, hats off to Neil Druckmann, Craig Mazin for, uh, the work they're doing and and what they're accomplishing with this. I want to put you on the spot. If you had to pinpoint one thing, why do you think it was more impactful this go around? Both or just the, uh, each individual. Let's talk about this one. So the, the Henry and Sam moment, you say it hits harder than it did in the game. What do you think is the biggest reason for that? Yeah. With, I mean, Sam being younger, more innocent, deaf, like it just felt like a more almost kind of cruel fate for this to be how he ends up. And it's a, a change that they made. Like we said to the game, he's Ellie's age uh, a bit, or he's more independent, not deaf. And it still was obviously a very cruel fate and was very impactful, but you're kind of taking a couple different things and making him younger, making him deaf where he's dependent on all these people and for it to be the same fate is just, oh, like, I, again, I knew what was going to happen and it still hurt. I'd say two 
so even going back to both moments, the, the two things that I'm pinpointing, and obviously I think I agree with all of those reasons, but I think the El- Ellie's I'm sorry is just going to kill me yeah. uh, every time I think about this. And s- similarly to the addition they made to Sarah's death of the Tommy help me line yep. from Joel, just very, again, small things, but it's just it just makes it, Ten percent uh, more sad. The show wraps on a song that uh, "Fuel to the Fire" by Agnes Obel. What did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, any notes that you made from that song? Yeah, I, I didn't do a, a super deep dive on this song, but just the first line we hear is, "Do you want me on your mind, or do you want me to go on?" And that's obviously very intentional, I think, but. Of just like, uh, in and especially in, in 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 previous instances, this that's been that's been Joel's mindset of, okay, that happened. I, in order for me to function, I need to not think about this and move on. Um, but just an interesting note. It also is all all the music in the show is so good and the score and everything. But that I think brings us to some awards as we wipe away our tears and and get to some. Best video gaming. Jacob, who do you think did the best video gaming in this episode? This might be a a little bit of... I don't think it's cheating. I guess it's LA finding collectibles. Finding Savage Starlight mm. made me so happy when uh, they discovered that in the tunnels that I would give that my best video gaming moment. That's that's solid. That's a good choice. I was just gonna, I was more simple. I was just going to go with Joel sniping because he did I better than... Initially. He did better than I did. <laughs> okay. Um he he had better aim, but that was good. Okay. Uh I think this one's a pretty obvious one, but who what's what's your baby girl? What's the best moment from the game brought to life in this episode? It's the ending scene. Uh, oh, I'm shocked. Yeah, Sam and Henry's death that I I didn't even really consider anything else. It was it's one of the key moments in the video game that we've discussed and yeah, it, it was one of those things we said at the beginning, they had to get right. These were the types of moments, and they did. Yep, I think that's the answer. Uh, a couple a couple quick honorary shout-outs of... Uh, we, we talked about the the, Joel that the, ki- the joy that the kids had together. Um, there, there was a small moment in the game where like they're laughing at each other of like throwing blueberries and catching them, and I was like, ow! And Sam's like, oh, a blueberry hit you. Uh, and they're both laughing, and, and there were just a few different moments. The, the soccer moment happened as well in the game, but just showing those moments of, of these kids uh, finding joy and, and finding connection with each other before, obviously, this tragic thing happens. Um, that, that's I'll give my honorary shout-out to that one. Best change... Jacob, what do you think was the best change this week? Making Sam deaf for all of the reasons that I just discussed a minute ago. But uh, I, I mean, Neil Druckmann himself said that he was upset that he didn't think of that. So I think Craig Mazin, the, the change that he made there was fantastic. I will give it. I, I Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I, I think that was a good change in, in terms of the overall quality of the episode. The, the the changes they made to make that action sequence uh, with the sniper yeah. and, and the suburb, I thought was just incredible. The moments where Joel was narrowly saving Ellie with the sniper as she's like ducking through clickers, it reminded me of 
uh, Battle of the Bastards with Jon Snow as he's like do- dodging. Oh, there's a horse that went by. Oh, I'm talking to this guy. Oh, he just got hit with an arrow and and this, but but it like adds an element of there's another character that's like looking out for you, and she can't even like see Joel right now, but she just she she can she can see obviously that he's helping her through that situation and it was just thrilling and intense and they they did that action sequence to say they did it justice is like an understatement like that was a moment that happened in the game and it was like a fun little sequence that you're shooting through but they made it this big climactic uh intense action sequence and then the horde that poured out was terrifying so i'll i'll uh, i'll just i'll sort of give it to that MVP of the week. Um, it goes some different directions. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go um, specifically. I'll I'll choose one. You can choose the other one if you want. I'll go Lamar Johnson. Yeah. I thought he was so important to this episode, and like I said, in, in many ways, Henry is like the POV character of this episode. Everything is really through his eyes, uh, and not even not even Sam's, because if it was through Sam's eyes, we obviously wouldn't have heard a, a lot of stuff and uh, known a lot of stuff. But Henry was so compelling in the short time we got with him, and his acting performance was just fantastic. So he's he's uh, Hen- Henry. You're you're in- instantly skyrocketed. I'm trying to think if there's anyone that would even compete with him uh, as as like my favorite Kansas City fictional character. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even. I'm trying to think who like the other contenders would be at the moment. But uh, you you did Casey proud, Henry. We're gonna miss you, uh, and hopefully the boys will go will go win one for you tomorrow. <laughs> win one for Henry. Uh, yeah, Two I wrote for down Henry. Henry and Sam. Yeah, Henry and Sam. I wrote so Sam Kevon Woodard. Specifically, this this Ellie scene and uh, his acting in that was incredible. I've said it a couple times. You kind of have to fall in love with these characters for that moment to hit. You did, and that moment hit. So both these both these actors, like you said, they deserve awards. There's a lot of people that deserve awards from this show, and it's going to be a tough competition, but incredible stuff from them and again going back to uh, I, I ranted about this a little bit before going back to representation like this this they, they did this he did this so well this makes me want to see more uh more actors with disabilities get meaningful emotional parts in stories like this and he did, he he, did, he was so good uh, and he was so adorable. And I love just like even small moments of just like oh what did they say and Henry's like they're gonna help us escape and the way he was just like oh okay bet cool like sweet uh, just without any words he was just he was so good he was so cute. Um, God that kid is cute. I, I was worried as soon as him with his uh, superhero face paint was absolutely adorable and soul crushing at the same time as, as soon as i saw like the first cast photo i was like oh man this kid's gonna rip my heart into a million pieces uh and he did he did so i think we're gonna wrap up here shortly uh before we get to the spoiler section a couple things again we need those five star reviews please keep sending those in we've gotten some really nice ones i want to read this other one that we got last week from sdcga161 on itunes 
says, excellent podcast for fans of both the game and the show. I started listening to the show after episode three because I just needed more. I'm with you. We love the content. Uh, These guys have a vast knowledge of the original game, and they intersperse that information with an extensive review of each episode in the series. They do a fantastic job of comparing similarities between the game and the show, and they also point out where the two diverge in narrative or content. They say spoilers for the very end, and they give you plenty of warning, as we're doing now. Uh, A special shout-out, they say, for the respectful tone of the show. It's no secret that there are some issues here that will fuel certain online types to belch out their toxic views on every form they can find. These guys have none of that. Their recap of episode three is fantastic. And as a gay man myself, I find the ease with which they discuss the main storyline of that episode to be spot on and quite refreshing. Thank you very much, STCGA161. Greatly appreciate that review. Very kind words. Uh, People, please keep sending those in. It helps us out a tremendous amount. Again, we are completely... Uh, to say we're an independent podcast, I feel like is we're just we're just two dudes that like recording this stuff and uh, uploading it on. So the, giving us good reviews and and leaving some kind words really helps us out. Really helps get us in more people. We're getting more and more listeners. Um, it's nothing crazy, but we're we're been we've been really uh, flattered by the amount of people that have been checking in and coming back each week. So thank you so much on that. Twitter, we need Twitter followers. We got to farm those followers. Follow us at TLOU Nerds. On Twitter, if you want to follow us individually, I'm TJF Sports, and he's at Jacob Rude. Though beware, we're mostly talking about sports on there. Um, but the main Last of Us Nerds Twitter account, we got takes, we got memes, we let you know when we're recording, we ask out for mailbag questions. We need more mailbag questions to, to keep making these episodes interactive and fun. So please uh, continue to do that. Uh, and you can also email us in at TLOUNerds at gmail.com. Jacob, anything you want to say to our dear listeners before we transition to the spoiler section? Just another thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I couldn't have imagined uh, the success we've had and this many people wanting to listen to us. So big thank you to, to everybody that tunes in, whether it's your first week or if you've been doing it for a couple weeks now. And again, we would have been having these long chats and conversations whether there was a microphone in front of us or not. Yeah. So um, we greatly appreciate that there are people that, that want to check this out. Again, if you know anybody that's loving the show or that's a fan of the game or is a new fan of the show, obviously this this podcast is safe for them. So uh, if you want to send those to your friends, that that means even more than uh, you know posting the link everywhere. If, if you want to send this to someone that, that you think would enjoy the content, we would really appreciate that. Okay. We are going to exit the quarantine zone now. If you don't want any spoilers, we will see you next week. We love you. Uh, get ready for what we're confident is going to be a banger of an episode next week, too. It's it's going to be only bangers from here on out, people. Uh, so at this point, we're exiting the quarantine zone. We are unleashed like a clicker in a Santa Monica pool, uh, roaming free with our spoiler knowledge of both The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2, though we're probably going to be primarily focused on The Last of Us one so if you do not want to know the plots of those games and the story going forward please leave now three two one okay they're gone uh jacob we got some interesting things to talk about here i read the quote out loud in the recap but kathleen uh saying what she said regarding sam and she'd be like oh what you think that like sometimes kids are supposed to die. You think he's worth sacrificing like everything effectively is what she said. Obviously that's foreshadowing up on that. It's like, what oh, oh, what'd you say? And obviously it's also like ironic because Kathleen didn't realize the hypocrisy of her own statement with wanting to get vengeance for her brother. 
uh, when it's like, hey, like he wasn't getting the job done anyway. So the fact that he died actually ended up being good for the resistance until you fucked it up. Uh, not not a fan of Kathleen, I'll say it. Um, n- nothing against Melanie Linsky, but obviously that character is not a good person. Um, but <laughs> that's such an obvious big foreshadowing of the of the choice Joel's going to make in the finale, and they, they're doing they're they're doing well at planting these seeds for the audience, and especially yeah. for the audience that don't know it of thinking about these themes and these ideas of everything that's going to be so important without beating them over the head with it. And I think without people that don't know catching on. So I'm really interested with that. What do you think? I think we've said this before, but they're, they're just doing such a fantastic job of adding layers to what's already a a complex decision at the end of the show or well, the game and what will be at the end of the show. Um, They continue to sprinkle even like with this, where, this wasn't in the game. So to sprinkle kind of this layer and that quote specifically, it was very interesting, very deliberate, obviously. And like I said, it made my ears perk up. I was like, huh, well, that certainly seems like something. And so, yeah, all of this is kind of laying this groundwork for what this final decision is going to be for Joel and what the kind of fallout from that's going to be. And, they continue to do a fantastic job of just adding more more moments like this throughout the show that weren't there previously that, again, if you know what the end result is, you're kind of picking up on these. And if you don't, it's kind of laying this groundwork for you to reference back to once the show ends. I'm so interested to see what people's reactions are because yeah. – um, I said, I'm so excited for the finale. This is, that's the most, you know, it's, this story does such a great job of, of setting up that choice and those, the consequences of those actions and the show's doing an even better job. So it's, uh, it's going to be quite a finale. I think one that people are going to be talking about for quite a long time. Uh, one quick thing on Kathleen and her quest for vengeance and, not stopping the cycle of violence. Very interesting that they're, that's interesting that they're like doing that theme a little here where obviously it's going to be such a big part of seasons going forward because it's, that's, that's more central to the last of us part two than last of us part one, but already you're seeing the futility of that type of mindset and laying the groundwork for the same decisions that Ellie's going to make in the future, uh, which are going to spell doom for a lot of people, including her. Um, They were calling their shot on that too, because they put that in there and technically didn't even know if there was going to be a second season. So, but they, yeah, I I also just just in case, Hey, by the way, we don't think revenge is good. The, uh, I, I, I do, that was something I, I kind of realized more after the fact that this, as I was kind of rewatching it and laying out these notes that, yeah, she was going for all out revenge. And that is a, the, the storyline in the second game is this seeking this revenge. So very interesting. Again, Kathleen, we, I mean, you guys heard, we had some, some nitpicks about her character, but also, 
she's going to be someone that they you can kind of reference back to for a couple of different major kind of plot points the rest of the way. For sure. Next episode, um, we're pretty sure we know the main things we're going to get. So they're going to get to Jackson. They're going to be in Wyoming. Uh, the, the actual town, it looks like. So I don't even know if they're even going to stop in the power plant or if they're just going to go straight to the town, basically, which is slightly different from the show or excuse me, from the game. Um, they're going to get that Joel Tommy reconnection. They're obviously going to talk about the awful things that they did in the past. I'm hoping we get some additional context for that. We, we got a little bit more with uh, Joel talking to Ellie about it with her and, and Tommy and Tess. But the most interesting part of that story or that the allusions to that was to me in the game were the moments where Tommy reveals that he – he, he basically says, I would rather be dead than to have still be alive and have done those things. It wasn't worth it, is what he says. And that's such a compelling stance from a character that I'm interested to see them flesh out a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to meet Maria as well. And going to get to, I, I think, your favorite scene, certainly one of our favorite scenes in the whole game, the ranch scene. There's no scene I'm more like, I don't want to say nervous for, but like anxious for than that ranch scene because it is hands down my favorite moment in the entire game. And I mean, it, it's a huge moment in their, the kind of relationship between Joel and Ellie. It's another one that they have to absolutely nail. I, I, I'm not nervous necessarily because I mean, they nailed everything up to this point. I'm just, I guess it's more excited uh, than anxious because you can be anxious, even though you're confident. Yeah. I, like, I, I think that's a fair thing to say, but I, again, I said this before, but I think from the trailers and from the promotional material, it seems like they're probably, they're probably going to do that similar to the car thing where it's probably going to be very line for line. Um, yeah. It it because we we certainly know a couple of those lines are in there line for line, uh, and again, s- sometimes I, he- I heard Alana Alana Pierce, who's a uh, some of the works for Sony Santa Monica, but she was a games journalist for a long time, and one of her review discussions about the episode, I, I really like the way she put something, which was that a lot of these line recreations of lines are just using the exact same thing. It doesn't feel fan servicey it just feels like yeah that was the best way to put it all along that was the best way to write that line or that scene and certainly i think we feel that feel that way about that scene where these two characters are trying to come to grips with the reality that they both care deeply about each other now and what that means going forward it's such an important scene in the story and obviously leading to joel's choice to continue to go on with her uh, really excited to see Pedro and, and Bella's take on it more than anything. It's going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this episode because it also looks if you, I, I did a little pausing as I was watching the preview for the next episode. It certainly looks like this is probably going to end on the cliffhanger of is Joel dead and uh, them leaving the university and heading to wherever, but there one of the the I think it is the very last scene is 
Ellie shooting behind and Joel slumped over on the horse in front of her. So, yeah. And I don't think it's like something like that shot. I don't think you could like, without us knowing that what we know, I don't think people can tell that like, but you can just sort of see Joel's like not really moving. And that, in that like one second of shot, which makes sense, Mm -hmm. obviously, but um, yeah. And this was maybe one thing we were in a hundred percent clear. It's like, where's the cutoff on this episode going to be? It seems like they are going to make it to the university and they're probably going to leave that on a cliffhanger of like Joel, collapsing i'm guessing after his injury which also one thing i i do think i think they're going to make him surviving the injury a little bit more believable because in the game (laughs) in the game like he takes like a full-on giant metal rod like through the stomach uh which is like oh okay yeah fine it's sure it's but i i think they're probably going to make it more just like a more in the side and he almost died because of the blood loss and and the and an infection but uh, I think they'll make it more believable. Yeah, I was going to say, it has to be better than a metal rebar going through your stomach uh, because in the game, that should have almost damn near... Out. Yeah, and it should have almost damn near paralyzed him. But in the... Uh, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how they adapt that because also, like, it happens because these people attack the university that are just kind of bandits and they haven't really had that around. They could, I guess, but I don't know who will be the kind of enemy or if there will be one, what leads to him well, getting the, well, no, it's, it's David, it's David's people is the implication. Yeah. So that's fair. So I, I also hope that we get the line of Ellie saying, can you walk? And then him saying yes. And then she says, well, fucking walk then. Uh, That's the one line that I really hope we get in this next episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, And also the, the, if I get you out of this, you're singing for me. I want that. Um, Maybe an explanation of, yeah, they don't need the explanation of football, but I bet they work that in anyway. All right. Um, anything else you want to hit before we wrap up? We're <laughs> over two hours of talk time. Oh God! Thank um, God if you're still listening. Uh, yeah, we love you. Um, okay, I, yeah, I think that'll probably do it for us. Big thank you to everybody who, like I said, is still listening, and uh, for all the support you've given us. And we'll be back next week. It'll be a little bit of a longer break between episodes, but we're just as excited as ever. So be sure to tune in next week. Share this with whoever. As always, though, for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everyone.